Welcome to the Valley Avon Podcast, a weekly podcast provided by Valley Community Baptist Church, located in Avon, Connecticut. Let's pray together. Gracious God, as we worship you today, we come aware of your bigness, your power, your holiness, your majesty. And before you contemplating your greatness, we're all too aware of our smallness, our lack of sufficiency. And so, Father, we need you today. God, would you fill us, speak to us, mold us, shape us, transform us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As you think about it, the idea that all roads lead to the same place sounds reasonable. Hagia Sophia kind of points out to us why the idea that all roads lead to the same place sounds reasonable. I want you to see Hagia Sophia. It's, it's a building, it's a world heritage site in Istanbul in modern-day Turkey. Throughout the centuries, the city of Istanbul has been called many things, Byzantium, Constantinople. Hagia Sophia was built in the 500s by the emperor of the Byzantine Empire. That's the former Eastern Roman Empire. And Hagia Sophia, the Church of the Holy Wisdom, became the centerpiece of Eastern Orthodoxy, which is a different branch of Christianity from Western Catholicism and from Protestantism. For centuries, this was the center of Eastern Orthodoxy. Then in the 1200s, the Western Catholic Church sent a crusade to try to recapture the Holy Land, but instead they landed at Constantinople, and they took Constantinople instead, and they pillaged the city and stole its treasures and made Hagia Sophia instead a basilica of the Catholic faith for 60 years. And then in the 1400s, the Ottoman Turk Empire invaded, took the city of Constantinople, and remade Hagia Sophia into a mosque within days. Hagia Sophia reminds us it it has changed hands, it has changed faiths multiple times throughout history. And each time, The change of hands of Hagia Sophia was accompanied by violence, by killing. And so we recognize that throughout the history of people being religious, people have experienced violence as a result of religion. People have have killed one another because of competing religious claims. And if you look at the death that's happened in the name of religion and you see that to be a problem then you may want to solve that problem. And if you want to solve that problem, then you begin to see why the claim that all roads lead to the same place can begin to sound reasonable. 
Because if history tells us that people kill one another in the name of competing and different religions, and you want the killing in the name of religion to stop, then you may come to the conclusion that what you'd like for religious people to do is to get along together, to coexist. And one way to do that is to make the claim that behind all these different and competing religions is something more common, a common sense of godness and a common sense of longing for God. And that's when the claim, all roads lead to the same place, begins to sound reasonable. Because it makes the claim that behind all these gods is a God, one God, and that we're all really trying to go to the same God, and that the different roads that we are taking are all just different pathways to the same place, to the same God. It almost begins to sound reasonable. The question is not, does the claim that all roads lead to the place, same place sound reasonable? The question is, is it true? Is it true that all religions, all roads lead to the same place? Is it true that all of the various gods are all actually the same God? Is it true that all these various gods are the one true God? And is it true that these various roads that people take are leading to that same place and converging? Is it true? This is a fundamentally important question for us to ask. And we turn to the Bible to get our answers to big questions like this. And our exploration of this question begins today with the final defeat of Satan. We turn to Revelation chapter 20, and as we do so, we discover that Satan's defeat is complete. Satan's defeat is complete. And we find Satan's final defeat in Revelation chapter 20, verses 7 through 10. I'd like to remind you of what those say. When the thousand years were ended, or are ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city, but fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Now, you might think that after a thousand years, Satan would have learned his lesson. But what we're looking at here is the Bible telling us about how time comes to an end, and the Bible tells us that time comes to an end in an age, a period of time called the millennium, maybe a thousand years. And the Bible tells us that before this millennium, Jesus is going to return to earth and inaugurate a kingdom here on earth, and Jesus will reign over that kingdom. During the millennium, the Bible tells us, Satan is going to be bound. 
And what that means is that Satan will not be free to deceive the people and the nations of the earth. But at the end of this period, as time is coming to a final close, Satan is released. And you would think after a thousand years in chains, Satan would learn, but he doesn't. You would think Satan would repent, but he doesn't. Instead, loose Satan goes around earth deceiving humanity again. And you would think that after a thousand years under the direct rule of Jesus himself that the people of earth would have learned, but we don't. And once again, as Satan begins to spread his lies, the people of the earth believe the lies of the deceiver. And so deceived, the people of earth gather together with Satan for one last stand against God. Satan deceives the peoples of the four corners of the earth, and those that are armed of them gather together in an army. Revelation calls this Gog and Magog. Gog and Magog represent the collective forces of Satan and evil that stand against God in the Bible. We see repeatedly that Gog and Magog are associated with a danger against God's holy land of Israel, a danger that comes from the north because of the geography of the holy land. Danger and threat almost always come from the north. There are traditions that say that Gog and Magog is associated with a political entity that, that may be in what in modern day is, is the territory of Russia. A threat from the four corners of the earth gathers under the leadership of Satan for one more stand against God. And so the battle is set. The players are gathered. And once again, the defeat is decisive. The Bible says, when the forces of Satan and Gog and Magog gather for one more battle against God and his people, this time fire rains down from heaven and eliminates the force gathered against God. The defeat is decisive because Satan can never challenge the power of God. And then we discover that Satan is is cast into the lake of fire. And by that, it does not mean that Satan is cast in and burned up and annihilated. That's not what happens. Satan is cast into a lake of fire and continues to exist eternally in torment. And this torment doesn't start and stop. The Bible says it goes on day and night forever. And the Bible calls this the second death, eternal death. That's the road that Satan is walking, and that is the destination in front of Satan. His defeat is complete. And then we discover that the throne of God's judgment waits for all of us, because after the defeat of Satan, we find the throne of God appearing in verses 11 through 15. Then I, that is John, saw a great white throne, and him who is seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. 
And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of, of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. And so we find here a throne. And in the Bible, when there is a throne, almost always God is the one who is seated on the throne. There is discussion about, in Revelation chapter 20, whether this is God the Father or God the Son. But Jesus has told us, and we have discovered repeatedly, that God the Father and the Son operate together. It's not a meaningful distinction. God is on the throne. And we are told that creation dissolves away, leaving us no place left to stand, which doesn't mean that creation is annihilated, because you see, we find in Revelation chapter 20 that old heaven and old earth dissolve away, leaving us no place to stand. But in Revelation chapter 21, when all of the evil and the results of the fall are eliminated, we find new heaven and new earth being recreated by God to take their place. Old heaven and earth dissolve to say there is no place left for us to stand on our own as time ends and new creation begins. And it's at this point that all of the remaining dead are resurrected to face judgment. Now, the Bible seems to indicate that before this point, Christians will have been resurrected and, and learn of our eternal fate. Most Christians are already resurrected and enjoying eternity with God at this point. And so we are looking at those who remain being resurrected. They, they are resurrected and they stand before God, before his throne to face judgment. The Bible says all of the dead, not just the, the small ones, the Bible says the great ones and the small ones, people of great influence in this life and nobody's in this life. People are raised from the dead no matter where they died. It doesn't matter where you died or were buried. Those who died at sea, those who are in death and Hades are all raised to stand at this point before God's throne of judgment. And at this point, even death and Hades itself are judged. Death and Hades are condemned and cast into the lake of fire, which means that the process of dying and the place of dying is gone. It's judged. It's in the lake of fire. It, too, has experienced the second death. And so, death and Hades are no more. However, and this is an important however, all roads do not lead to the same place. We stand before God's throne to be judged at some point, but all roads do not lead to the same place. In Revelation 20, as the remaining dead are raised to, to resurrected life, they stand in front of God for judgment, and it says that books are opened. The books contain the deeds of a person's life, and, and some people have the impression that when they stand before God, there is a scale, and that the deeds of a person's life are on a scale, the good deeds on one side and the bad deeds on another. And they assume that if the good deeds outweigh the bad deeds, they get eternal life. 
And they assume that good deeds weigh far more than bad deeds anyway. And my good deeds are better than yours. And my bad deeds are nowhere near as bad as yours. But the Bible says there's no scale. There's no balancing act. In place of a scale, there is a book. And the book contains all of the deeds of a human being's life. And the standard is that if a a human being has been perfect, if they have lived up to God's holiness, if they have lived up to God's glory, God's infinite holiness and God's infinite glory, that's the standard for achieving eternal life. So if a person has lived up perfectly to God's holiness and to God's glory, then they receive eternal life. But the Bible says if they have fallen short, either by a little bit or by a lot, of God's perfect infinite holiness and perfect infinite glory, then they have sinned. If they've sinned, they are guilty. And if they're guilty, there is but one penalty, to be condemned. And to be condemned is to experience the second death, to be cast into the lake of fire. If when the book of the deeds of a person's life is opened, if that person has fallen short in the smallest degree of God's infinite holiness, his infinite and perfect glory, if we've fallen just a little bit short of that, we do not get eternal life. We get the second and eternal death. But there is one appeal, and that appeal is to the book of life. And in the book of life are written the names of those who Jesus Christ has put there because they are Jesus Christ's people. And if a person's name is found written in the book of life, despite the fact that they have earned eternal death, they get eternal life instead. And what this tells us is that salvation comes to us only through Jesus. The Bible makes this clear over and over again. I want you to hear what John writes in chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 of his first letter. He writes, my little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation, that is the atoning sacrifice. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. If we're guilty, and we are, we are condemned. If we are condemned, we have one advocate, one appeal, Jesus Christ. If we accept the forgiveness that is offered to us through Jesus Christ, then we are saved. But every one of the remaining dead will stand before the throne of God's judgment. The book of the deeds of their life will be opened. And when the book of the deeds of their life is opened, all of the deeds of their life will be revealed. And if one piece of life falls short of the infinite perfection, the infinite holiness, and the infinite glory of God, that is sin. And in sinning, we disobey God. And in disobeying God, we join Satan's rebellion. 
And if one piece of our lives has fallen short, then we are guilty. And that person who is guilty will be condemned. And that one who is condemned has one appeal to the Lamb's book of life. If their name is found written there, they have eternity with God. If their name is not found written there, then the second death, eternal conscious punishment, is what waits for them. All roads do not lead to the same place. One road leads through Jesus Christ to new life, eternal life, and to God himself. All other roads lead to the eternal and second death. All roads do not lead to the same place. You have to ask, who believes that all roads lead to the same place? Plenty of people actually believe that all roads lead to the same place. Who believes that? Whoever dictates terms to God. And you'd be surprised to find how many people will dictate terms to God, who will tell God what is true, what is just, what is righteous, and what is holy. You will hear people actually making the statement, my God would never. And, and what they mean is, my God would never, because somebody told a lie and stole something and was unkind, my God would never send that person to the eternal second death, because that is not, in their opinion, loving. Whoever dictates terms to God believes, essentially, that all roads lead to the same place. But what we know is that God is sovereign, and that means that God is in charge. He is the one who determines what is right and what is wrong. God is holy, meaning that there is a rightness and a wrongness. And God is just, meaning that rightness and wrongness matter, and they must be dealt with. And God is loving, which means that in this broken and fallen world, because there is wrongness and sin in it, there is death and suffering in it. And it is not loving of God to leave sin and brokenness and death and suffering in the world. It must be judged. It must be eliminated. God is sovereign and holy, just, and loving. So who believes that all roads lead to the same place? Whoever dictates terms to God. Also, whoever expects that salvation is a right. Whoever expects that salvation is a right. Because many people come before God and believe that we are born basically deserving salvation. And we only lose salvation if we do something terrible in life. And none of us ever concludes that we have done something truly terrible. Many of us believe that Salvation is a right, but the Bible says that whoever has come one step short of God's holiness, righteousness, and glory has sinned. They have disobeyed God, and in so doing, they have joined Satan in his rebellion against God. Please understand, eternal death is our right. Eternal death is the thing that we have worked very hard to secure for ourselves. Eternal death is our right. Salvation 
is a gift. Salvation is a gift. So who believes that all roads lead to the same place? Whoever expects that salvation is a right, and also whoever lacks concern about eternity. And this is one of the places where this lie actually grips a hold of many disciples of Jesus even. Because if we believe that all roads lead only through Jesus Christ to God, then when we see our unsaved family members and friends when we know that we have people who, who are coworkers of ours and, and people that we care about deeply and are not following Jesus, and we don't care about it, we are tacitly agreeing that they, maybe they have a pathway. Maybe all roads do lead to the same place. Because if we believe that all roads do not lead to the same place, then we know and understand that our loved ones, our friends, our coworkers, our neighbors are headed to eternal death and separation from God. And that should cause us to think twice and do something. And so when we treat it as if it's unimportant, we're just agreeing that all roads lead to the same place. Because if their lives are houses, their lives are buildings. The building is on fire. And someone needs to yell, fire, get out. Who believes that all roads lead to the same place? Whoever lacks concern about our own eternity and the eternity of others. So this raises another question, and that is, how can we free ourselves from this lie that all roads lead to the same place? And I want to give you three suggestions today. The first is that we repent, which means stop believing and stop spreading the lie. We stop believing the lie, meaning that we stop trying to tell God what his standards of truth and righteousness and holiness and justice should be. Instead, we stop believing that we can dictate terms to God by which we are all going to be saved. We stop believing the lie that all roads lead to the same place. And we stop spreading the lie that all roads lead to the same place, which means we do not give other people the comfort of saying that your, your faith or your lack of faith is certainly going to lead you to eternal life. Never say that to another person. Why? Because the Bible teaches us that behind all of those competing faiths, all of those competing gods are not just false and empty gods. There is something far darker. Behind all other religions, behind all other false gods, is demonic power. Paul makes this clear in 1 Corinthians where he writes, No, I imply that what pagans pagan sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. Go ahead. You, can partake, you cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. So what Paul is saying here is that behind false gods are not empties, empty places, but are demonic powers. And those demonic powers are seeking to deceive, to have, and to hold the people in their grip. And so we must repent. We must stop believing and stop spreading the lie. Next, we must believe. And we must believe that salvation, we must accept that Jesus is the only way to God. 
We must accept that Jesus is the only way to God. Now, what I've shared with you today is an important, deep, and troubling truth. And that is the truth that without faith in Jesus Christ, without saving faith in Jesus Christ, what awaits a person, without you having saving faith in Jesus Christ, what awaits you is the second, the eternal death of conscious punishment in a place of fire, day and night, for all of eternity. And, and I recognize, I recognize what a, what a ground-shaking claim that is to make, and I, I beg you to wrap your head around that fact today and accept the fact that eternal death is what waits for those who do not have faith in Jesus Christ. But in its place, accept that Jesus has died to pay the price for our sin, and that if we accept forgiveness in Jesus Christ, our name is written in the Lamb's book of life, in his book of life, Jesus' book of life. And we get what it is that Jesus Christ offers us, new life eternal life in God himself. Believe. Accept that Jesus is the only way to God. And finally, follow. Share Jesus as the only way to God. Share Jesus as the only way to God. You see, Satan is spinning this lie. In fact, it's just one of many lies that Satan has spun into a web of lies, and so many of us are caught in this web of lies. And when we get caught in Satan's web of lies, Satan has us in his grip. And the goal of Satan having us in his grip is that we join him in his eternal destiny in the lake of fire. That's what Satan wants for you and for me. The building is on fire, and someone needs to cry out. God the Holy Spirit is crying out in this world and calling people to saving faith in Jesus. When God the Holy Spirit calls a person closer and we begin to see in their lives an openness to the gospel, we need to be the ones who are there in that person's life. And when God the Holy Spirit begins to awaken faith in a person, what we need to be there to say to them is that there is one way to new life, one way to eternal life, one way to God himself, and that is Jesus Christ alone. Jesus is the one, the only one, who offers us new life, eternal life, and God himself. Let's share Jesus as the one and only way. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Valley Avon podcast. 
If you would like to hear more, you can subscribe for free on any platform you use. If you would like to visit us in person or would like to submit a prayer request, you can visit us on the web at avon.valleycommunity.cc. From all of us here at Valley Community Baptist Church, thank you for coming and have a blessed week.